Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. I'm Mike Stir. All right, man. We are one week in the books for the playoffs. Uh, we'll talk about some injuries that occurred. The LA, uh, each of their respective series have evened up. We'll have everyone's favorite segment plead their case, and we'll discuss Julius Randle winning the most improved player. But to start, let's talk about the round one matchups. So let's talk about just the overall series in each conference. Uh, and wh- what did you think of what you saw out there? Well, just looking at it from a broad perspective, it seems like there's a handful of really close series, just three of them. Every other series is pretty much lopsided. We've only really got three competitive series that you really have to wonder, I mean, who's really going to take this one? But if we're looking at it, let's just run it down. Utah, Memphis, Utah leads 3-1. Clippers, Dallas tied 2-2. Denver, Portland tied 2-2. Phoenix Lakers tied 2-2. Philly and Washington, Philly leads 3-1. The Atlanta Hawks lead the Knicks 3-1. The Heat got swept by the Bucks 4-0. And the Nets lead the Celtics 3-1. So, I mean, from my perspective, man, there haven't been that many surprises. A lot of it is going... Um, generally how I would expect, I'd say probably the biggest surprise for me was the heat getting completely swept. I I wasn't expecting them to for sure win the series. I thought that they had a shot to upset them based on what they did the season before, but it was really shocking to see a team go from making the finals to then getting swept in the first round. I don't think that anyone would have bet on that. So that was pretty shocking. Um, I probably didn't expect for the Hawks to be as dominant as they were against the Knicks. I definitely expected for that series to be a little bit closer. And everything else is generally as you would expect. If we're looking at this from a broad perspective and now zeroing in, what team has been the most surprising to you? Um, I, I think the biggest surprise to me, which wasn't really a surprise, was the fact that uh, LeBron is keeping the Lakers in this series. Um, he's clearly showing that experience matters and keeping them uh, in the Phoenix Sun series. Obviously, Chris Paul got a little uh, injured, and we'll see what impact Anthony Davis has uh, after his injury. But um, that surprised me. The other one uh, was the Portland-Denver series has unsurprisingly, surprisingly been good. Um, you knew that with a four five matchup that it was going to be good, but you didn't know that it was going to be this good. I think that that's been the closest series overall. Um, and then I would say just from a pure team performance perspective, the Atlanta Hawks have just been decimating the Knicks. Knicks came in touting their defense, touting the fact that they were going to be able to shut them down. And Trey Young has said, not in my house or in your house. So he's really become the villain of New York, as he proclaimed. And I think that uh, tomorrow he could send the Knicks home in their hometown and really be that Madison Square Garden supervillain for them, for that Knicks team, having just gotten back to the playoffs. Yeah, and it honestly seems like he embraces that role. Um, to me personally, I love hearing the chatter. I love hearing the trash talk. I, I love that level of competition. Um, it reminds me of old school series where things got really personal. You hear Trey Young telling all the Knicks fans in Madison Square Garden, it's effing quiet in here after hitting game winners. You see the Knicks fans 
holding up all kinds of abuse at Trey Young. I don't think I've ever heard of a playoff series where fans are trying to get in a player's head by attacking things they may be insecure about. I heard that every single fan in Madison Square Garden received a flyer to chant Trey is balding to get in his head. I've never heard of something like this. I mean, but you know what? If you're a Knicks fan, you haven't seen your team in the playoffs for a while. You haven't seen them be competitive in a while. I guess if you're a fan, good for them. You have to try anything to give your team a little bit of an edge. Said including yeah, spitting yeah. on him, but we'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> we'll go on that in a little bit. We're going to get a little bit more in depth. But um, zeroing in now from broad to smaller, if you have to give an MVP of the playoff first round so far, which player do you think has been the most dominant, impressive player in the first round? You know, it's tough, but I'm going to have to go with Kevin Durant. He has shown no signs of rust, no sign of issues with that uh, Achilles at all. Um, He's just completely dominating. He's leading all players with points per game with 34.8 per game uh, in the, in the postseason, And you didn't, you expected this, but you didn't really expect it. And on top of that, he's in the 50, 40, 90 club in the playoffs right now. So he's doing that all while almost averaging a double, double. Um, and it, it just goes to show how prolific and great of a player he is. And it's great to see him back in form after missing so much time this season, but also injuring his Achilles nearly two years ago. Yeah, honestly, uh, looking at Kevin Durant, it is really hard to argue with your point. Um, On top of just incredible offensive numbers in the postseason so far, putting up 34.8 points per game, like you said, 50-40-90 club, but not just barely 50-40-90. We're talking about a guy shooting 55% from the field, 45% from three, 90% from the free throw, and he's also giving you two blocks per game and 1.8 steals per game. If he were to maintain these numbers over an entire playoff, you could argue that he maybe had the most dominant postseason run of any player on offense and defense if he were able to keep this up. And even if they didn't win, he might win the finals MVP if he kept that up. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, I haven't seen numbers like this in a while, especially on this level of efficiency. But here's the thing. You have to look at everything from a certain lens. He is playing with two other future Hall of Famers one of which is definitely going to be a top 10 scorer of all time. The other of which is probably the best ball handler of all time. And he's not a bad scorer either. Could go off for 40, 50 occasionally. You never know. So obviously he's going to get great looks. You can't double team him. You can't focus on him too much because if you do, you're going to have to deal with James Harden and Kyrie Irving. So it, it is, it is really tough defensively to game plan for this team. So I'm not going to take anything away from his numbers. You could put someone else in that same slot and they probably are not going to put up numbers like that. But to me, my top guy has to be Luka Doncic just because, I mean, his roster is basically unchanged from last season. I think that his roster is nowhere near as talented as a lot of the other top contenders. I mean, look at his roster. His second best player is Kristaps Porzingis, who, I mean, not to knock him, he's a, he's a good player, but he's, rarely available, always has problems with injuries, can be inconsistent at times. And the Mavericks themselves have been a little bit non-committal on whether that's going to be the long-term future going forward. They clearly still need other pieces. But Luka Doncic is out here still putting up 
33.3 points per game. He's shooting 48.6% from the field, 40% from three, leading all players in threes made. Um, and he's also giving you eight rebounds per game and 8.3 assists per game. So he's not even far off from averaging a triple-double. His defensive numbers leave a little to be desired, but to be tied 2-2 with a team that has a better roster, he's basically putting the team on his back like he did last year. He's doing everything. So individually, I think that if you were to put Luka Doncic on the nets, he might be able to actually put up just as good of numbers as Kevin Durant, and he's doing it with less help. So in my mind, I think that my favorite player to watch in the first round and the most impressive player for me would have been Luka Doncic. It's a fair point. I don't think you can go wrong with either of uh, those people. But I think when we talk about the hardest series to call, moving on from that piece, uh, to me, it's been the Portland-Denver um, series. Back and forth, tied. Uh, and then the other one would be the Lakers-Phoenix uh, series. And that really is dependent on how bad each respective team's injuries are going to affect them going forward. But given that those two are tied and the rest of them aren't really that close, those would be my two toughest to call. Yeah, I think for me, um, I agree with you on the Denver-Portland series. That would be the series that I would least want to make a bet on um, just because they're fairly evenly matched right now in terms of offensive firepower. Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum are doing great. Nikola Jokic is amazing, but this series is starting to show a little bit what they missed from Jamal Murray. They could use a little bit more offensive production. They could use a little bit more playmaking and shot making, but I still expect Denver to be able to pull it out. They still have the deeper team overall. I think that Portland has just been playing great, but Denver should probably take this series. I think that um, the other series that is extremely tough to call is the Lakers or the, the Clippers Mavericks series, the Phoenix Lakers series is not as tough for me just because Anthony Davis is going to definitely miss at least one game. So without Anthony Davis, I expect the Lakers to fully lose the following one. Anthony Davis has actually been a very underrated player in this series. He's been the more important player. I think in my opinion, um, when Anthony Davis played poorly, they lost when Anthony Davis played well, they won. His defense makes a huge difference. His rebounding makes a huge difference. And the Phoenix Suns aren't able to get those easy buckets at the rim when Anthony Davis is in the lineup. Having him out of the game makes Phoenix's offense a lot easier. It makes Aiton's life a lot easier. And it makes LeBron's life a lot harder. So I expect this series to go 3-2. So for me, I'd have to say probably the toughest series to call would be either Denver-Portland or Mavericks Clippers, just because you have the dynamic of Luka Doncic playing out of his mind, clearly showing that he can hang with anyone. And then you have the Clippers who have Kawhi Leonard playing amazing, but you have the obvious lack of chemistry issues that still plague them from last year. They've had a whole other year to develop chemistry, but it still seems like when you watch them play, it's just not an ideal fit in terms of personality and personnel. Um, that one's tough for me to call. So either of those two for me would be tough. But um, moving on to another storyline, Julius Randle wins most improved player. Um, I don't think anybody was really surprised about that one. But go ahead and discuss his improvement this year, what you think his ceiling might be, and how you think that his playoff production affects these projections. Yeah, that's been tough because 
in the postseason, he hasn't been uh, that great. And it's sad to see, uh, but this is a guy who played for some uh, crappy Lakers teams, finally came out of his shell now this season and really turned it up a notch. Still think he's an electric player, uh, but this, I think, will definitely hurt him a bit going into the offseason, um, just with the narrative overall, because people are going to say, well, he was electric during that season, but this is his first postseason run ever. Um, and, and in this season, he hasn't been doing that well. Um, overall, he only has 67 points on the series uh, through four games. So it, it's, it's not an excellent showing uh, from Julius Randle. Let's not take anything away from him. He had an amazing season uh, this year, but yeah, overall, I think that um, the 24.1 points to 16.8 drop-off is going to hurt him. Uh, his rebound re rebounding numbers are up a little bit, but that's not helping them win overall. So um, New York Knicks weren't really known for their scoring. Clearly, he creates a lot of the offense for that team. Um, so I think he has a higher ceiling from where he's at now. Um, I think that he can continue to grow and continue to develop his game. Um, the, the key piece that we'll have to look out from for him is to continue to get that uh, three-point percentage or maintain its consistency, but to just continue to be uh, a, a stretch four as this league has more so desired. Um, but I think the rest of the pieces are there. His floor, I would say, if I look back at other most improved players, um, is uh, Ryan Anderson having one good season and then just fluttering away overall. I don't think that'll happen to him because he's taken this Kobe mantra of really getting into the gym early um, and being the last one to leave. And he talks about that that's like the thing he remembers every day when going to work. So I think the work ethic is going to be there. I don't think he's that he's going to just flop and, and flutter out of the league, but we'll see uh, what the Knicks do in the off season to create a better supporting cast around him. Um, but I think that Julius Randall's future is bright. I just don't think that his current uh, situation in the playoffs is bright. Yeah. For me personally, I think that he absolutely deserved to win. Um, most improved player. His stats were amazing in the regular season. He shot 45% from the field, which is really respectable. But the main thing I think that was the key factor in opening up his offensive game was his massive jump in three-point percentage to 41% three-point shooting. Um, and also his massive growth as a playmaker, being given that responsibility to be able to create for others was very important as well. But um, I think that he caught a lot of people by surprise. I think that this is a story that basically gives you a prime example of why the regular season and the postseason are so different. In the regular season, Julius Randle was getting a lot of open looks from three because he was not traditionally a good three-point shooter. So teams were willing to give that shot up, knowing that up to that point in his career, he hadn't really knocked those down at a very high rate. So they were willing to give that up. Also, just like a lot of other players that have one great season, like you mentioned, what happens is you catch teams by surprise. They didn't have that in their game plan for you. But when you get to the postseason, teams are locked in. You're playing this team multiple times in a series, spaced out by only a couple of days. Teams are locking in on you. They're analyzing you on a very, very detailed level, figuring out what you can do, what you can't do. At this point, teams know he can knock that down. They're not going to give that up anymore. And the Knicks roster in general isn't very talented. 
with basically, I think in my mind, probably the worst floor spacing of any playoff team right now, it's going to be very tough for Julius Randle to get open looks when there's no one else on his team that has significant playoff experience or ability to create or make their own shots to take pressure off of him. So I think that um, his drop off in the postseason is basically an indictment on the kind of player he can be because we see players like Luka Doncic who are able to carry and elevate players who maybe don't have the same level of experience and maybe aren't able to contribute on a very high level, but he still carries that team because he is so transcendent. Julius Randle isn't that type of player. He's not transcendent enough to be able to take an average to middling roster and carry them through a round. He's a solid player, but I don't think he should be any team's first option type player. I think that at 26 years old, he's probably very, very close to his ceiling. And the best case scenario for Julius Randle would be to add another impact player to the roster, which would probably negatively impact his scoring numbers. It may improve team success, but in terms of raw stats, I think this may be one of the best seasons that Randall will put up. I don't really think he can get that much better. He's not really a freak athlete. Um, he's, a, he's a solid athlete, but his story has always been since he came into the league that he's an undersized forward. He was always a tweener, um, never really been an excellent defensive player. As much as I love his growth, I just don't see him as a franchise type guy. And I think the Knicks, without acquiring a real number one option, are at best a first-round exit if Julius Randle is your best player. I have to agree with that. I think, too, when you look at the potential like complementary pieces or complementary players that would suit his skill set, a younger Chris Paul, because I don't think he's going to play that much longer, and I think he'll probably finish his career in Phoenix, but that type of player would have been great for Randle and his growth. He needs somebody that can distribute that isn't going to suck up all of the scoring uh, a rumored trade that I saw floated around was having Colin Sexton go to the Knicks, and that would completely diminish his overall scoring because Colin Sexton is notorious for being a ball hog. So I think it is crucial that the Knicks get him the right running mate um, and that he is the the number two, the complimentary number two to whomever that may be. Um, but what I think is also impressive is with the two awards that have been announced this year with the award that was announced last year, the Lakers seem like the, uh, like the farming system for other teams to have awesome star players because they had Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle and uh, Jordan Clarkson all won Don't awards. Alonzo Ball. Well, had a had great to, year. He did have a great year, but he hasn't won anything. So I think, yes, it is a team sport and it's not about these individual awards, but it shows that clearly their scouting department had something right in drafting these players. Um, and you can't say that too much about too many teams uh, from a long time horizon. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it from the other angle. I think that they did something right by picking up those players, but at the same time, they had a bunch of great picks. They were pretty crappy for a while. And I think it's actually an indictment on their recruiting that they had all these pieces and they really believed that Kyle Kuzma was the number one option out of all those guys. They really prioritized keeping Kyle Kuzma ahead of Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Jordan Clarkson, 
I mean, these are all guys who are outperforming Kuzma now. Kuzma is a laughing stock in LA. People outside of LA don't like Kuzma, but you know that you have a problem when your own fans are roasting you. So to let go all these guys because you gave up on them early, they didn't play well for the Lakers. They didn't develop those players at all. And those players all went on to flourish elsewhere. Meanwhile, they have Kyle Kuzma, who seems to be more interested in posing with Kardashian friends and trying to make endorsement deals and pretending like he's a man. <laughs> so um, I think that it's an indictment on them. They definitely chose wrong. But um, I guess yeah, it depends you have on to, how you look at it. You have to weigh in any equation, in any sport, I mean, in any aspect of life. So I think that that's similar to what you're seeing with the Miami Heat and Tyler Hero. Uh, and it's what the Lakers are experiencing with Kyle Kuzma. So hopefully they do focus on their job. But if they don't, then I think these teams will likely make some changes uh, pretty quickly because I think Tyler Hero or Kuzma's stock would go down going to a small market team that is not overall marketable, like the, I don't know, the Timberwolves or uh, going to uh, OKC. Like, they're good in that market, but they're not going to get you uh, posing with Kardashians out in OKC. Of course not. I hope it's a positive tale to all future players coming into the league. You think that you have one impressive season and you've made it and now you want to be a star but you can't try to start getting all the star accolades and endorsements before you've actually established yourself. What makes you a star is to be able to perform at a star level consistently. Anybody can be a star player on a given night in the NBA. You made it to the league. Obviously, you have to have some talent. Anyone can be capable of going off on a given night. To become a star, you have to prove that you can do it over a long course of time. Once you've steadied that ship, you've done your business, you're established in the league, I have no problem with seeking all these outside endeavors, but I think the social media generation and all the spotlights and all the glitz and glam that the young players see is distracting them from the true goal at hand. If you don't establish yourself in the league, you might be out in a couple of years. You can't just think you had one good season, you got some endorsements because you're in a big city and then you made it. But um, moving on to another storyline, Another storyline that was very common in the regular season is starting to creep its way into the postseason. We saw during this shortened offseason, lots of injuries occur, and it changed the complexion of a lot of teams in the regular season. And now it seems to be happen happening a little bit right now. We discussed it a little bit earlier, but we currently have Embiid, who was cleanly blocked and stuffed at the rim by Clint Capella. And he just falls back awkwardly, loses his balance, slams hard in his backside and is now set for an MRI. He had to leave that game early and is expected to miss the next game. We don't know how much time he's going to miss. We have Anthony Davis with a groin strain, as predicted, injured in the playoffs. He's set to miss the next game. And then you have Chris Paul with a shoulder contusion. He's playing through it, but obviously not quite at the same level. And then you have Luca with the next strain, which is probably the least severe of all of them. But go into what the implications of these injuries are. What do you expect to happen? And what do you expect to be the final outcome based on these injuries? Well, I think the one that hurts any team the most right now is Anthony Davis because he is expected to miss some games. And like you were saying, he's been electric in the playoffs. Um, and I think that the Phoenix Suns, they are the number two seed overall. So they're clearly, I think, overall a better team. It's just the Suns 
don't have the two best players on the court at any given time. That's the Lakers having Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So without that, it is a lot for LeBron to carry. And as he said, the shoulders were built for this. Uh, So I think that one has the biggest impact overall on the current series. Now, in terms of the overall playoffs, if Embiid's injury is more serious, depending on what they find with the MRI, then I think that that one has a bigger implication for the overall playoffs. So they're going to get out of this series with Philly, I or with the Wizards rather. I don't see the Wizards coming back and pulling off a the first 3-0 upset ever. Um, and if they did put Russell Westbrook in the Hall of Fame right now. But I think that Embiid leaving, Philly's able to get one against the Wizards, but whoever they play next, likely uh, the the Hawks, I think the Hawks would take them in a four-game series or seven-game series without having Embiid there. Yeah, I think, honestly, you really nailed it. Um, in terms of the Chris Paul and Luka Doncic injuries, I don't think those are anywhere near as important because they're not going to actually miss time. Chris Paul also is not the number one offensive option on his on his team, and I don't think that his shoulder contusion is really going to impact his ability to distribute and make great decisions, which are arguably his best attributes on the court anyway. So um, if Anthony Davis does miss significant time, um, I think that Chris Paul's shoulder injury is a non-factor. They would definitely win that series if Anthony Davis misses significant time. And like you mentioned, Embiid has been electric. That would be a complexion-changing injury for the entire Eastern Conference, given that he has been averaging 29.3 points per game on 67% shooting and an absurd 54% shooting from three-point range for Embiid. I mean, this is incredible production. Maybe the best efficiency in the entire Eastern Conference from a statistical standpoint, but um, it just depends on what the MRI shows. Hopefully he can come back healthy. Like you said, I fully expect the 76ers to be able to beat the Wizards even without him. I think they still have the better overall roster. Wizards don't play any defense. We know this, but um, I think you were spot on. The Embiid injury is something to monitor. Um, That can change the entire complexion of the outcome of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I agree. But talking a little bit more about the West and the L.A. series, uh, both L.A. teams have recovered to even up their series after starting with losses. So do you think that both or neither series uh, ends up with an L.A. victory? For me personally, I think that the Lakers are going to lose this series. I have I have predicted this from the start. I expected a first-round exit. I'm going to hold to that. Um, I honestly don't think LeBron James can do it without Davis. I really don't. And we saw that when Davis plays poorly, the Lakers lose. He really is as much as LeBron is in everyone's mind, the best player on that team. I think that Anthony Davis is the most important player to that team's success right now. And I don't expect the Lakers to win it. Anthony Davis is going to miss the next game. They're going to go down three, two, most likely. And if he misses the game after that, it's pretty much a wrap. I'm pretty sure. Uh, the Clippers Mavericks series is a really tough one to call for me. Um, Luka Doncic obviously has to be phenomenal for them to win. And he has been, but you can't forget about Kawhi Leonard over here. Kawhi Leonard has been putting up 33 points per game. I mean, he has been on fire. Paul George, as much as everybody wants to give him crap, 
he's actually showed up a little bit in this postseason series. He's still playing well, which is a testament to Luka Doncic that you have both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George playing well, and he still has this thing tied 2-2. I mean, I think that overall, I'm going to put my faith in Luka. I think that Luka last year played a more competent LA Lakers team in the first round when they were at full strength, and he made that series very competitive, and they ended up going down, um, especially because Kristaps Porzingis got injured. At that point, I mean, you have Luka Doncic and a bunch of role players against two of the top 10 players in the league on the same team, and he still made that thing close. So um, I think that Luka Doncic squeaks this one out, probably gets it in seven. So you have both L.A. teams going down. I have both L.A. teams going down. I'm sorry, uh, L.A. fans. I'm sorry, West Coast. I just don't think it's, it's L.A.'s year. I, I don't see it happening for L.A. Yeah, I think if anybody's going to pull it off, I would think that it would, would be the team that still has both of their superstars healthy and the Clippers. But if Luke is able to pull it off, that, like you said, is just a testament to him uh, and his improvements this year as he continues to become, honestly, the face of the league. Yeah, we're going to be seeing for a long time to come Luka Doncic, Zion Williamson, as long as Zion Williamson remains healthy, those two are going to be the pillars of the league for the next decade. Well, as long as Zion stays that. healthy, but also as long as Zion gets into the playoffs, because if he doesn't get into playoffs, doesn't really matter if he's a face of the league. I think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to get in there. With the numbers that he's putting up and that sort of efficiency, I think it's only a matter of time, especially given his ceiling on defense is much higher than Luka's is. Yeah. Not to take anything away from Luka, but I don't think that Luka Doncic will ever be an elite defender. He'll be respectable on that end, but I don't think he'll ever be elite. Zion Williamson can actually be a game-changing defensive presence once he gets the mental aspect of defense down. He still needs to get acclimated, um, learn Stan Van Gundy's defense, and I expect them next year. I mean, look at their roster. Their roster is actually on paper great. I don't know how they missed it this year. Obviously, they're extremely young. They don't have much experience, but I would expect them to be in the playoffs the following season. It'll be really fun to watch um, how Zion performs on the big stage. I agree. Well, moving on to our final case, I will ask you a series of questions, and you will plead the case for the outcome. Let's do this. The Miami Heat have All lost right. their flame and went ice cold this postseason. Play their case on why big moves are needed to get back to the finals. This one was a very um, sad series to look at. This was a team that was a very feel-good story last season. No one really expected them to accomplish very much. Everyone they had on their roster overperformed. Um, everyone loves to root for an underdog. And then this year, it was the opposite. They underachieved on every single level. Um, I think that in reality, changes need to be made because the Bucks and other teams throughout the season have exposed what their biggest flaws are. I think last season they caught a lot of teams off guard, similar to how Julius Randle did. No one expected Tyler Hero to be able to produce in the playoffs. Um, Duncan Robinson was a relative unknown. Bam Adebayo was catching people by surprise as well. No one had really mentioned him. If you weren't a Miami Heat fan, casual league fans only knew Adebayo as a good defensive player. 
Um, he was like a borderline all-star to many, not really a household name. I think that the roster as it's constructed just has too many players that can only hurt you in one way. And I don't know if that's a factor of Eric Spolstra being too stubborn with his scheme and not being willing to adapt, or if it's just a factor of their roster not having enough talent. But it seems like they have too many one-trick ponies. We have Duncan Robinson, who is an excellent three-point shooter, but that's it. We have Bam Adebayo, who's an excellent defensive player, but that's it. He showed that the mid-range game that everyone talked about in the postseason, it wasn't there. They gave him that mid-range shot all day. He didn't take it. He passed it up, didn't even look at the rim. Jimmy Butler, great decision maker, solid passer. He gets in there. He shoots his free throws, a non-factor from outside the paint. Cannot consistently shoot from outside. You have all these one-dimension type scores. It makes it very easy for the other team to game plan. Tyler Hero, he can get hot off the bench, can't defend for shit. I mean, it makes it very easy for other teams to game plan for you. And on top of that, they consistently get killed on the boards. I think that this season should serve as a lesson to the Heat that they cannot commit to playing Bam Adebayo full-time at the center position. He's just not going to be able to do it on his own. He's not quite big enough to guard the most dominant centers in the league on a consistent basis, especially when teams are trying to switch and get favorable matchups. He's just not going to be able to do it all on his own. They need to get a floor spacing five to let Adebayo get a little bit more room to get into the paint, let him get comfortable and distribute and to take some of the rebounding burden off of him. You can't expect him to eat up every rebound. Tyler Hero, again, never showed any growth this season from last season. I think this season, the only growth he showed was on social media and in endorsements. He focused on the wrong things this year. And I think many Heat fans are probably annoyed about that. So um, I think that if Tyler Hero doesn't start shaping up, he's going to find himself as a trade chip pretty soon too. The most interesting thing about the Heat is this roster only has four players that are guaranteed to be under contract next season in Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Casey Akpala, and Tyler Hero. Everybody else is either having their contract expire, has a team option, which the Heat will likely decline because it's Goran Dragic, aging veteran, didn't perform at the level that is requisite for his paycheck. Same with Iguodala. I don't want to take anything away from him. He's great on our team, but for the money that he's getting paid, he needs to be able to be more than just an IQ guy. He needs to be an actual offensive threat consistently, which he's not at this point in his career. So I think that the Heat had a lot of dead money and players that theoretically were great for them but didn't pan out. They need an infusion of talent and scoring, and I think that Oladipo would have helped them a lot. But um, the the season-ending surgery leaves them with a big decision to make. Do you offer this guy a long-term deal to secure his services and try to potentially get um, a former all-star on the cheap? Or do you look at his injury history and say, hey, I'm not touching this guy. This guy's damaged goods. So I think they have a lot of important decisions to make. If I'm the Miami Heat, I'm looking at Duncan Robinson. I'm looking at Kendrick Nunn. If these guys get big multi-year offers, I'm not matching that. As much as Duncan Robinson is an amazing three-point shooter, there are a lot of amazing three-point shooters in the league right now. I think that Duncan Robinson at this point in his career is B-plus Joe Harris. He's not even as good as Joe Harris right now. So you could get another solid three-point shooter. I think what the Heat need better right now 
than a knockdown catch and shoot three point guy is a guy who can knock down the catch and shoot three, but can also attack the paint and give teams multiple looks so that we're not just looking at Bam Adebayo going to run a handoff every play. It's so predictable. Teams are obviously going to know to guard that handoff. It's, it's the same play every time. It's not creative. They found this out last season that this is what they want to do. They need to switch it up. So if I'm the Heat, I'm definitely blowing it up. I'm sending a lot of these guys away. Kendrick Dunn is a nice piece, but clearly he's not their starter for the future. He wasn't necessarily the problem in this series, but the fact that anytime something goes wrong, Eric's poster solution is, hey, we're going to bench Kendrick Nunn and put Goran Dragic in the starting lineup. Let's see what happens. It doesn't work. It basically shows that they're non-committal on him. He's not exactly um, the same age as other rookies. He's a little bit older. He's not going to be a star. You're not going to pay star money for him. If some other team makes a desperate offer for him because they, they were impressed with his um, runner-up rookie of the year performance and his um, his raw numbers look pretty decent this year, but clearly he's he's not going to be a guy that can be an impact starting two guard. He's six foot two. He's always going to be a defensive liability, and he's inconsistent on offense. If I'm a Heat fan, I hope that they bring back a new roster next year. You obviously have to build around Bam Adebayo. You gave him that max contract. You need to build a roster where Bam Adebayo starts at the four. You prioritize getting a floor-spacing big man at the five a la Brooke Lopez. They need a guy like that. And they need, obviously, a complementary starting point guard who can consistently knock down open shots and also penetrate to create drive-and-kick opportunities. That is what they need. They have a tall order. Pat Riley is going to be very busy and has big decisions to make this offseason. Yeah, I agree. And I think to expand on one point that I feel you kind of touched on, uh, Eric Spolstra, I think, always got so much credit for being a great coach. And I think he is a great coach, but I think their offensive schemes got figured out pretty quickly, especially by a defensive team like the Bucks. So I think that he needs to go into uh, his basement or rather attic in Florida um, and really hunker down and get a little more creative uh, because they were exposed. Like you said, it is part of the personnel piece and having a bunch of one trick ponies, but there needs to be a coaching aspect as well um, to get those guys away from their one trick pony status and get them in more creative setups so that teams can't just play the same defense on that one expected move over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I think that honestly Shaq had a point when he called out Adebayo for just being robotic about always trying to run the play, run the play, run the play. I mean, Adebayo is a coach's dream. He does exactly what you want him to do. But sometimes to a fault, Eric Spolstra needs to loosen up a little bit. It's too scripted. It's too predictable. They take way too long to get into their offensive sets. A lot of the time, they're trying to get a play set up Teams already know what play they're going to try to run, so they guard it correctly. And then the Heat have to settle for either a Hail Mary Duncan Robinson three at the end of the shot clock or a Jimmy Butler brick from three-point range or hope that somebody can draw some contact and get to the free throw line. You can't win consistently with that sort of game plan. They're going to need to be a little bit more diverse in their decision-making and play a little bit more free. Instead of being so scripted, they've got to do the equivalent of what would be read option concepts in football 
in basketball. They can't just be like, hey, Bam Adebayo, go out there, set your screen. Robinson or some other shooter is going to run around you. You hand it off to him, and then you run to the basket, see if he passes it to you. No. like that's, You can't do that play every play. You're going to have to be more creative than that. And part of it is they're limited by their personnel to run some of these set plays because a lot of these guys can't create their own shot. I think Bam Adebayo is the franchise player. He needs to stop being such a complimentary piece. If you're getting padding, they're giving you 10 feet to shoot that mid-range jumper, which you can clearly knock down. Stop just trying to run the play. Take that shot. Get the defense off balance. Make them play you. If you make them have to guard you, you can then create for other people. You can't just be a non-factor on offense because you're trying to run your coach's play. And I think that Pat Riley needs to sit down with Spolstra and have a talk about that. He needs to let go of this. I'm trying to run the same plays. I've always tried to run. Let me see if I can get some pieces to run my same offense. He's got to switch it up. But um, on the last point about the Heat, Jimmy Butler is eligible for a four-year, $181 million extension. That's pretty fat for a player who clearly showed some flaws in the postseason when there's not a, um, when there's not an abundance of variety on offensive um, options for him to distribute to. I think that if you're the Miami Heat, you cannot extend that contract. That would be a very bad contract to make. What's your opinion on that? I don't think they will extend it. I think why are you going to rush it? The guy has said over and over again that he wants to stay with Miami and be with Miami. So I don't think that there's any flight risk where you necessarily need to lock him into that deal. So I think that the marriage will continue. And if, and he's also said he doesn't want to play late into his thirties. He wants to be done so he can enjoy life. And obviously the game is taxing. So I think He's going to finish his contract, I think, now at 35, and then his extension, maybe he does it for another two years, and that's about it. But I don't, I don't foresee them signing him to a four-year deal. Yeah, neither do I. I think that Pat Riley learned his lesson on offering long, multi-year deals to aging players who are probably most likely going to decline every year in that contract. So hopefully he learns his lesson. Yeah, I think the only person they should have done that with would have been Wade, but can't uh, can't go to the past. But moving on, NBA fans have run rampant. It's been ridiculous, honestly. In the past couple of weeks with the Wizards having an, a fan rush the court last night, Kyrie Irving had a water bottle thrown at him, Russ had popcorn, Trey got spat on. So plead the NBA's case on why they haven't done more to protect the players. I think that the reason why the NBA hasn't done more to protect the players is because this is so unprecedented that every time it happens, you kind of just write it off as like, what the hell was that? Like, we don't have to make a policy about this. That was just a freak thing. It's not going to happen consistently. I think that part of the reason why it's going on so much, I'm not going to say that it's right, but part of it is back then, fans in general didn't have as much access and knowledge to players' viewpoints, thoughts, and personalities as they do now. It seems like in today's game, every player wants to have a microphone in their face. Every player wants to build their brand, show their personality to everyone. Hey, look, this is me. This is my brand. This is who I am, which is good. I mean, you want to brand yourself as a player. You obviously want to be marketable and all that, but it does come with some kickback sometimes. 
Not to say that it's deserved, but I mean, look at the Kyrie Irving situation. The whole thing probably started because when the series began, Kyrie Irving was asked in an interview, hey, how do you feel about going back to your old team, facing them in the first round in the playoffs? This is just a strictly basketball question. It seems like everything has to be extra with Kyrie. Instead of just answering a basketball question with a basketball answer, he has to say, well, you know, I hope that this time when I go back there, there'll be less subtle racism. There's a lot of racist fans in Boston. I mean, around the league, a lot of players have said that there have been incidents in Boston and issues of that nature. But I think that Kyrie just dropping that in the interview unsolicited for no reason is part of the reason why Boston fans are like, what the hell, guy? Like, I hate this guy. I'm not saying that's right. You should definitely not act on it by throwing a water bottle or anything like that. But I think the reason why volatility is increasing is because of aspects like that. And it's unprecedented. And the league hasn't been having to face issues like this ever before in the league's history. So I think that now we're going to start seeing some changes now that it's becoming a trend. We saw the fan in Boston who threw the water bottle, got arrested. He's going to be facing charges, is banned for life. From the NBA's perspective, what more can you really do? You're not, you're not a, a legal authority. You can't really do anything outside of call the police, take legal action, and ban them from coming to the stadium. What else can you do? That's really all you can do. So from the league's perspective, they're doing what they can. They're, they can't really do more than that. I think that Jalen Brown said it best. He's a Celtic player who said that he didn't appreciate Kyrie Irving's comments because even though he agrees with what Kyrie's overall comments were supposed to do, you know, raise awareness about racism and all that, he didn't appreciate the way he tried to introduce that talking point. You don't always have to make it a discussion about social justice every time that they put a microphone in your face. Obviously, you're going to stir a lot of pots when you do that. People are just trying to watch basketball. I mean, I'm not saying it's right, but the league is doing everything they can do at this point. Yeah, I think that um, players should use their platform overall, but I do think in this instance, there was really no need for it. Like it, like you said, it wasn't a prompted question. Like, how do you feel about going back to your team when you suffered these types of situations before or something to that effect? He's like, yeah, I'm going back, but by the way, uh, this happened. And then Russell, I don't think anybody should ever uh, like throw popcorn at him. I think that he's like a very polarizing figure just because he always just dominates other teams offensively. So I'm sure fans always are, and, and Philly fans are just notorious for heckling and going the extra mile beyond heckling. Um, and then with the Trey Young spitting, I mean, he said, I want to be the villain of New York. So clearly he got his wishes with being spat on. None of it was right. The concerning, well, actually, before I even go there, the, the guy last night in the Wizards uh, arena getting absolutely pummeled by security. <laughs> that was that was actually kind of funny. <laughs> incredible. Um, the guy I thought had come from like, behind the basket but he actually came from the like courtside view and hopped it there and didn't it was completely benign if you watched the different views he literally ran through the court away from the players and just ran up and touched the backboard like you would in middle school to show your friends your hops so 
Yes, he got pummeled and tackled. It seemed completely benign. I'm sure it's a scary situation for players overall to just have people rush them like that. The part that I hope doesn't happen and that I could see the league having to do in the event that this does just continue to be an every game occurrence is putting up like almost hockey plexiglass so that people literally cannot go over. Um, And that I think would impact the game negatively. I think it would be a very weird sight to see, but like to have player safety, if people actually keep rushing the court or throwing random objects at players, like they're going to have to do more or put nets over the tunnel so that players don't have to deal with that. Um, There's, there's, I think some more that the league could do, but I think you're right that it's too early for them to make those sweeping decisions. Yeah, the other aspect, too, is in my perspective, I fully expect this to calm down. I don't think it's going to continue throughout. Um, I think that part of it also has to do with the fact that um, arenas largely were not allowed to host fans for a long time. And fans are now finally able to start coming back to the arenas. So it's time to go kind of Exactly. You know, it's almost like that. uh, You know, I lived with my, my parents my whole life. They tell me I can't do this. I can't do that. And now I'm in college. And. They're not here and they can't tell me what to do. And I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to go buck wild. My dad was sick of me flinging water bottles at him. So I said, you know what, Kyrie, you're next. Exactly. You know, but then the following year, you calm down a little bit. You know, you had your fun. You saw you you got used to it. You're in college. It's not crazy anymore. You're back. You got arrested a couple of times. Exactly. (laughs) People saw repercussions. I mean, if you're a fan, <laughs> this is ridiculous, though, the fact that we have to discuss this. But seriously, though, if you're a fan, if you're a real fan, you, you hear about the repercussions that are happening to these players. I mean, the guy, the Russell Westbrook situation, I think that <laughs> Russell Westbrook is just a very volatile player who explodes from just about anything. So I think that was really just a troll. You know, popcorn is not going to hurt you or anything. I think that fan just really wanted to freak him out. I'm not saying that it's right because technically it could still be considered assault. But it's not like he's, he's going to be like hurt by popcorn. I think that fans just wanted to see him freak. And I think that fans are just excited to be back in the stadium. But seeing the consequences that are coming down, season ticket holders are being banned forever. People are getting actually arrested and facing real legal charges. It's not just, hey, you can't come to the game. At this point, people are starting to face real legal consequences in their real life. So I think that most rational fans are looking at this and saying, hey, look, um, things got kind of crazy. Fans are finally able to come back for the first time. We're all very excited, but I fully expect it to calm down same way that a freshman in college would calm down in later years after having been in college. The problem though, that I see is that they can just get a ticket off the resale market and go back in. I think season ticket holders getting their tickets revoked is much more impactful than just some common bystander or regular fan who bought a ticket. Like, yes, they're going to deal with legal repercussions, but there's really nothing stopping you from scalping a ticket and going into the game again. Obviously you would get in more trouble if you were caught doing that, but the chances of that, if you are an innocent bystander again, um, it not really going to happen. So especially with wearing masks and, and just the current state of affairs in arenas. So I think, Yes, there are some repercussions, um, and I don't think that these are rational fans who have been doing this. Um, the one that is most concerning, or the two rather, 
the fan rushing the court while it was benign, that could have led to something serious. So that shouldn't happen. Um, and the Kyrie water bottle, yeah, water bottle may not hurt, but if thrown the right way, like it could have hit him in the eye. And like, on, like if it was thrown in the perfect way and it, and it had water in it, like it could have messed up his eye, which would have impacted the overall series. So I think that that one uh, is definitely more concerning than the popcorn. None of it's okay, but those would be my two more concerning incidents. Yeah, but I got to agree with that. Moving on. The Wizards, Celtics, Grizzlies, and Knicks are all one game away from elimination. Plead any of those teams' case on why they might have a chance. <laughs> well. They don't. Show's I over. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Well, that wouldn't be fun for the podcast. So let's see what we can do here. Um, honestly, if I'm looking at all these 3-1 series, I think the only one that has a shot in hell at becoming competitive again might be the series between the Knicks and the Hawks just because they're the closest in terms of talent gap on paper. Um, the games have also been the closest in terms of margin. Those games have actually been competitive. Um, Brooklyn has largely been able to dominate against the Celtics. Um, the Celtics were able to win off of a masterful performance from Jason Tatum, who honestly is going to be one of those players that's going to be a future leader of the league, along with Luca and along with Zion. He's going to be one of those guys that's going to be a face of the league too. But this year with Jalen Brown missing, that show's over. There's no way. Um, we're looking at Philly, Washington. There's just no way. When we're looking at Utah, Memphis, as great as John Morant is, the only game he won was the game that Donovan Mitchell didn't play. That one's not going to happen. I mean, we got to look at the Knicks and ATL. And if I'm looking at that series, the reason why I think it could improve is because Julius Randle has just been so awful. His shooting numbers have been so terrible that I don't know that he can keep up such a horrible performance. Like this guy is actually shooting 27% from the field. 27. That is awful for a high volume shooter. 33% from three, which it's not terrible, but it's a huge drop off from the 41% that he was shooting during the regular season. They have a chance to win another game. If they make it 3 2, who knows? Maybe they get emboldened. I think that it's a safe bet that Julius Randle won't keep playing as terribly as he's doing right now, which I think is why this is the only series that has a chance. They have a chance to go maybe six games, but all those teams gone. But with that, yep, looking forward to the second round. That's the end of the show. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. Curls adjourned.